Did you know that the power to heal is yours? What does that mean? And how much do you know about powerful and effective remedies for healing that have been around a lot longer than modern medicine that Big Pharma doesn't want you or your doctors to know about? Welcome to the Astound Yourself podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sally Saxon. And today, my very special guest is Robert Scott Bell who I consider to be a legend when it comes to natural health and healing. And he's a homeopathic practitioner and an author, as well as an expert in silver and copper. In his many years of experience, he's reversed many different kinds of chronic conditions and diseases through homeopathy, um, herbal medicine, organic whole foods, and various other natural means, as well as by the spirit of God. And he is the host of the Robert Scott Bell Show, which is on the air six days a week. And he and his guests talk about different holistic and alternative approaches to many everyday healthcare issues. Robert Scott Bell, welcome to the Astound Yourself podcast. Thank you, Sally Saxon. It's great to be with you after having you on my broadcast as well. You were doing tre tremendously important work. And one of the important things I got to be and do is be a dad of two kids that have never been vaccinated, nor have they ever had an antibiotic. And I think that's part of the process of raising a healthier generation than we were raised pharmaceutically and medically. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, we probably want to hear more about your kids, how you're able to raise your kids to be healthy without a lot of the uh, problems in other people's kids of all kinds from young ages through their teenage years. Obviously, you're doing something, something different than what most parents are doing. Sally, when you grow up in a pharmaceutical and medical family like you have as well, your pension is to, if you have an ailment or an illness or a symptom, is to get a medicine for it, a drug for it. And the doctors are all willing to prescribe things for it. Back in the day when you had the family doctor that would actually visit you in the home, they might not be so drug-focused in history, but there was certainly a time in the 20th century, the early part of it, where modern medicine got corrupted by what was known as a Flexner report in medical school that altered the curricula to focus only on patent petrochemicals and uh, eliminate the funding and accreditation of any medical schools that would teach homeopathy and naturopathy and herbalism. So there was a, a real schism that didn't start there. It went back in the 19th century. In 1844, the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded, and in 1847, the American Medical Association was founded three years after to basically combat the growing interest in natural medicine, which preceded allopathic or the modern medicine that we have today as far as drug everything that moves or has a symptom or an emotion. So we've got a lot of history of unfortunate antagonism between the methods. I don't think there should be. I think everything has merit just to finding out where it's appropriate and then allowing in a, a free market for ideas and medicines to rise to the top that which works the best. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get any further into the interview, I would like to introduce your book called Unlock the Power to Heal, which you wrote with Ty Bollinger. And I've read this book and highly recommend it. Not only do you give a lot of just practical information about so many different issues and that most people deal with one or the other of the things you've dealt with in the book, but they also, but you also talk about some of those hidden secrets of modern medicine that you were just referring to that things used to be a lot different. And then early in the 20th century, there was 
things started shifting. And here we are now spending more probably per capita on healthcare than any other country. And yet as a nation, we're, you know, we're not at the top. We're, we're way down the, the rankings in terms of overall health of the nation. How did that happen? Yeah, it's embarrassing how bad the outcomes are. And yet you're right. We have a very uh, wealthy system, if you will, a very profitable system, but not profiting the good to the health of the individual that's availing themselves of the medical monopoly. Uh, we don't have free market in, in medicine and in healing in America. And therefore, uh, as you might expect in any industry where there is a monopoly, innovation is stifled, competition is, is destroyed, and prices do not go down, they go up, and inefficiency goes up because you're rewarding the status quo. Uh, so we've gone backwards from a time where someone said we had primitive natural medicines, but thousands of years of recorded human history, we've relied upon what we call natural medicine and uh, botanical medicine, things that are even listed in the pharmacopoeia, uh, including, you mentioned silver and even copper, and largely was abandoned, particularly in the 20th century, for patent pet petrochemicals because the profit center was there. You could invest a lot of money and you could make it back and then some by having no competition in the marketplace for your drugs that were then allowed to be the only source of what we call response to a, a diagnosis, right? To treat, cure, mitigate disease. And uh, we go back to the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of 1938, which passed in 1939. And we see that uh, there are some little known parts of that history, which were good because thanks to Senator Copeland from Michigan, he was a, a physician and a homeopath. He sing, almost single-handedly protected homeopathy from being utterly destroyed from the American marketplace by grandfathering in the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States. So there have been actually a competing drug model in America that's of course non-toxic in terms of homeopathy and homeopathic remedies but most of the medical schools stopped teaching it. I went to Emory University in Atlanta and only found out a few years after I graduated that they taught homeopathy in the medical school curriculum up until 1949, which was one of the last medical school holdouts in the United States. Yeah, what uh, so, exactly is homeopathy for those who don't know? Homeopathy is a, a system of, of medicine, manufacturing of, of remedies from the three kingdoms in nature, plant, mineral, and animal kingdoms. Uh, it was identified and, and brought to light uh, first by Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, a physician of his day in the late 18th and early 19th century out of Germany. And he was translating uh, various medical texts from around the world and found patterns emerging, uh, something that he would uh, later call the law of similars and like cures like. One particular case he'll enjoy was the use of a medicine or an herbal plant substance called cinchona or china, which was the bark of a Peruvian bark of a tree and that when ingested, it would cause symptoms of fever and other things that mimicked very much malaria. And he, I, he had the idea of somehow taking it, diluting it so it couldn't cause those symptoms. But in between each step of dilution, he did something that I don't know that anybody really knew about, which was called succussion, shaking, vigorous shaking of the remedy. So you'd have it in your hand, and you'd shake it. He would shake it on a Bible. He was a very religious man, a hundred times each time between each series of dilution. So you would get a very dilute quantity of the Peruvian bark or the tincture and re-administer it. And it would remedy the symptoms that mimicked malaria. So they already had a cure for malaria back in the early stages of homeopathy. And interesting, that bark is known as quinine. You've heard of it, the quinolones, including hydroxychloroquine, the quinolone remedies, 
uh, that are so popular in COVID, even though the doctors that brought them up were often attacked. But the basis of, me of natural medicine is basically herbalism, but it altered it in a way because it imparted the essence of those substances and uh, then utilized it in a way that could be non-toxic, completely non-toxic, but elicit a healing response in the body, tapping into what we call the vital force. It's more, it's somewhat esoteric, maybe working more in the quantum physics realm ahead of its time, but yet the ancients, including Hippocrates and others, have talked about these concepts that we are not merely flesh and blood and the chemistry that it, in, that it contains, but that we are imbued with energy. That energy comes from a life force, a vital force. So it's a more of a, what we call a vitalistic view of the body, not a chemical reduction view of the body. So it, it competes in thought in terms of allopathic medicine, which is all molecular reductionism, chemical measurements, and the argument for some that are following modern medicine like it's a religion rather than a, an art or a science would say that homeopathy can't work because it can't kill you. As if the only way to determine something is real is that it can kill you. Uh, so it has uh, a lot of remedies, hundreds, in fact, thousands of remedies, including the ability to take disease tissue, or for instance, disease processes, and convert them into a homeopathic form. We call those nozodes for utilization to target maybe infectious agents or even cancers in the body. So there's a lot, extraordinary array of things that you can do with homeopathy prophylactically and reactively. Okay, that's helpful. That gives us a better idea of what that area is all about. Would it be fair to say that the shift away from more natural remedies and homeopathic remedies back in, in the last century kind of happened because the uh, ability to make a lot more money by the pharmaceutical companies when they're able to patent something that they make because mm. they can't patent nature. Right. So they have to make something synthetically in order to uh, patent it right. Right. so that they can justify charging more money for it. But to your point, yes, the Carnegie and Rockefeller foundations were primarily the funders of the Flexner report, the preordained commission report we talked about in terms of the medical school curricula. And Rockefeller was quoted as saying, competition is a sin. I don't know if you remember that quote. They didn't like to operate in a free market. They wanted to have a dominant control of everything about it so that they could profit in a maximum way with limited or no liability as well. And so it's a, a Machiavellian approach to crush everybody and, and conquer and then be successful and be, be proud of it. But it doesn't work if you like freedom. But many people in the early part of the 20th century were beginning to suffer in the industrial era with diseases of a wrong lifestyle, more chronic diseases, environmental diseases. And it's a fraction of the degradation of the environment that we see today, but still they were significant enough that they were suffering from things that didn't respond as quickly sometimes to the herbal medicine of the history that we had been through. And what they found with the synthetic patent medicines, like the discovery of aspirin, for instance, very rapid relief of symptoms. Then the advent, the development later on, antibiotics, the immediate cessation of these so-called infectious manifestations. And it was just been enamored the populace, much less the medical profession, in that those would profit from it of the most rapid route of we can eliminate these symptoms. And it was a short-sighted approach because they didn't consider the reason for the chronic symptoms. 
and the undoing or how to undo it because there was no concern for the actual cause of symptoms like inflammation and pain. Rather, we now have the ability to eliminate it, you know, what we call it allopathically by squashing it. And that's allopathic medicine to fight against. So you stop something from happening so quickly. People are like, this is great. Uh, they could even get the, many of the homeopaths will go, this is faster than anything I have. And so even they began to abandon it. So it was this transition into, I believe, a less responsible way to live because we didn't have to confront choices we made manifesting as symptoms. So allopathic medicine really responded well to people who didn't want to be responsible for their own health. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a yes. significant so when, shift. So when you refer to allopathic medicine, you're referring, for those who don't know, you're referring more to what's taught in medical schools today. Correct. People get the MD after their yes, name. The, the drug and suppress model, poison you back to health, which is an absurdity. Uh, I've said that the most dangerous thing you can have in America today is really good medical insurance because mm. they will test you for things to determine, you know, what's going wrong and they'll find things that you don't have, right? They'll diagnose you for those things. They'll give you a drug for those things you didn't have based on improper tests that aren't accurate or they're mistaken. And then they will give you a drug or two or three and that will manifest new symptoms that will then be repeated in that we now have drugs for those symptoms as well. And then before you know it, you have a, a myriad of diseases you didn't have when you began and you become a real profit center for the pharmaceutical industrial complex that came to own and control not only the doctors of the 20th and 21st century, but the governments of the world in the West, the regulators, the agencies like FDA or Health Canada, European Food Safety Authority in, in Europe and others. So we have become basically victims of our desire to have things easy and not concern ourselves with having to do the things that is much too difficult compared to taking a magic medicine that makes your ailments seemingly go away, but unfortunately creates 10 others in the process. Yeah, that's a good lead into the statement that you often make. It's your logo, not logo, but your motto, if you call it, want to call it that, that power to heal is yours. The power to heal is yours, yeah. which is such a simple statement, but very profound in its meaning. And it goes to that point you were just talking about. We want to be able to just do something easy, take a pill and get rid of all our symptoms and medical health issues. But um, where you come from, the power to heal is yours. It puts a responsibility back on each one of us, which is yeah. actually a good thing from the standpoint, like this podcast is about helping people discover that much more is possible for them than they think. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that comes to health, like our health, can be much better. It's much, it's very possible for all of us to have much better health than we have right now. And it's within our control. Yes. To a significant extent. And that's why you have so much to offer that's so valuable. And we want to get into some of those things today. You were talking about antibiotics earlier. Okay. What do you recommend in, instead of antibiotics from a, a natural you know, homeopathic sure. uh, approach? Well, if we go back into the 20th century history, we find out that a lot of the fever diseases of the early 20th century 
uh, often the result of uh, squalid conditions, uh, poor sanitation, sewage systems were primitive in some degree. They were coming online, but hygienic practices might not have been great. All of these fever diseases were real. In other words, they would manifest, you call them an infection, whether it be typhus, typhoid, and other things. Uh, the homeopaths had a very good track record in the homeopathic hospitals that existed then. Very low mortality rates. And you'll find that the allopathic hospitals often had mortality rates exceeding 50% or higher. Uh, yet, again, the dominant move in the 20th century was to ignore and squash the success of anything that competed with the patent petrochemicals. Uh, so we lost sight of that in history. We don't even know about it. We're not taught that unless you go back and to read some real history books that haven't been erased and rewritten, like Divided Legacy, the series written by Harris Coulter, a very thick series of books that will give you the real history of medicine in America, which is quite entrenched and steeped in homeopathic medicine, herbal medicine, etc. So <clears throat> some of it was the purposeful elimination of that history. So we wouldn't know that there were ways to treat these diseases homeopathically, which even today that exists. So raising my kids when they, if they had an infection, I could utilize the classic homeopathic remedies for infection like phosphorus or hypersulfur, or when they're really young, belladonna for fever, different things like that. And there are a number of remedies beyond what we have time to mention. But as I uh, got further into my homeopathic practice, a lot of what I was doing was helping parents and their children detoxify from heavy metals because they had been exposed through uh, dentistry, mercury often, vaccination, also mercury. And now we know aluminum is a big player there and various environmental exposures to lead and different things. So I was detoxifying them. And of course that would help their general health, of course. But then I encountered uh, a book by Dr. Robert Becker called The Body Electric. And this was a book about silver and particularly the ions of silver. Now he utilized an electrical current through silver rods, basically, or electrodes. And he experimented on animals, different things. And he saw it could even, not only could it eliminate infection, but it could help facilitate regeneration of tissue and even limbs. And I thought, wow, this is quite extraordinary. Now, silver has been known for thousands of years to be an antimicrobial before they even knew about microbes. It helped in healing wounds and things like that. But the abandonment of silver, which was also a mainstay in the early part of the 20th century as a medicine to counter infection and things like that, battlefield and otherwise, was abandoned when the antibiotics came on the scene, penicillin first and foremost. And that was a miracle cure, right? The miracle of penicillin. But very shortly after the introduction of these antibiotics, they started detecting resistance to the antibiotics. So there was antibiotic resistance is not a new phenomenon. It happened within, I don't know, if weeks or maybe months of the first introduction of these things. But uh, allopathic medicine is, is warfare medicine. It thinks bigger bombs. Let's make bigger bombs. We'll just explore how we can make it stronger, more powerful. But still, there are microbes that are completely resistant to all antibiotics, even the, the nuclear level antibiotics av available to us today, whether it be the, the, the classic, they have the, even the just thinking of the different classes, the sulfonamides, of course, which a lot of people have severe allergies to the sulfa drugs. We have the um, Bactrim, that's one of the sulfonamides. There are also the penicillins, the psyllins that are still around, but much resistance to them. There are various things like ciprofloxacin. That cipro is a devastating antibiotic. And then you have, what is the most, like a last line of defense antibiotic I'm trying to think of right now. I have it pictured in my head. Vancomycin, that's one of the mycins. But these are last line of defense type antibiotics. And yet 
silver was used as an antimicrobial. So I began to look at that, was introduced uh, to my friends that manufacture sovereign silver and Argentin 23, was reticent to incorporate it right away because I was detoxifying metals from people and children. And this was silver was a metal. So I had to be sure that it could be harmless, like a homeopathic remedy and the hydrosol technology they have at natural immunogenics answered all my issues with toxicity. And then I was able to see the regenerative impact of this hydrosol, which is in the colloidal family of silver, and began to apply it as well and found that it could eliminate these issues in, in my children as well as us as fast or faster sometimes than even homeopathy, but it was a great adjunct or complement. They didn't cancel each other out. And so I was able to add that into my arsenal, if you will, of holistic remedies that are not harmful, but only helpful. And then studied various different ingredients including copper, which we'll get into, that became more more critically important during the COVID years we've just come out of. So I'll pause there and let you prompt me because I'm, I know I'm going on a lot of rabbit holes here. No, that's really good. And I, I just want uh, people to know, too, that you address the issue of silver and its uses uh, in your book. And so uh, it's a very good book. And it, it's a relatively easy read in terms of it's not a big, huge, thick textbook like thing. It, you know, it, it's easy reading, written for the lay person, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, because but even doctors are finding help in that book. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure because yeah. they're probably reading things for the first time that they things they never knew about. That's uh, right. Yeah, I, I really highly recommend people to get this. I think it's available through Amazon. Yes, yes, you can get it yeah. there. And occasionally when I'm out and about at lectures, I'll have some books with me to sign. And if you can get Ty Bollinger to sign it too, not many books have been signed by both of us. So that's cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. And the one thing I wanted you to address too is besides we want to talk about copper as well and these substances, which, I mean, when I first heard about silver and copper using those for healing, but silver had so many powerful aspects to it that I, I was surprised. And so people definitely should become familiar with what the silver is able to do, but you recommend it in the book and now just a certain kind of silver, not just any yeah. colloidal silver, but can you address that? Yeah. The concern I always have is for toxicity or bioaccumulation unnecessarily. The good thing about silver is even if it bioaccumulates, it doesn't impact function of organs or systems. That's unusual for a metal to accumulate that you think deleterious activity and action. Silver is very unusual in that it would take extraordinary amounts to create a problem in the body. And the problem is typically cosmetic, not functional. So if you made homemade like colloidal silver at home and you drank quantities over time and you couldn't uh, eliminate them efficiently, like normally it would uh, eliminate in the phase two liver uh, conjugation pathways. This is a selenium dependent pathway, binds to the sulfur sulfhydryl groups and it's eliminated as solid waste. It's a pretty normal inflow and outflow. Uh, but if you make uh, forms of silver that are difficult to bind and excrete to excess, the body will accumulate it in, in the various organs and tissues, eventually throwing it out through the skin or attempting to do so where it will get trapped deep in the dermal layers. And there it can photoreact sunlight and that creates the discoloration known as argyria. And so even though it wasn't a functional issue, it wouldn't kill you. I didn't want to risk my children turning gray or blue. <laughs> so I had to be sure that I had a form of silver I could utilize on an ongoing basis if need be that would not risk that. And that's the bioactive silver hydrosol, isolating the active component of silver, which is the ion within a stabilized water delivery system, 
for use in the myriad of pathways that could benefit sublingual delivery and then ease within within 24 hours sometimes less excretion is very easy uh, rather than the high concentrations or silver of unknown quantity and quality bound to the salts and proteins and things that could be difficult uh, in terms of safety the, the bioactive silver hydrosol and the level at which it's entering the body if you want to harm yourself with it you fill your bathtub up with it and drown in the water that's the only way so you have a safety profile like a homeopathic remedy in that case Okay, so it's uh, silver hydrosol. Is there only one company that is currently making that particular? Form? Yeah, it's a proprietary technology. I've witnessed how it's made. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence that anybody else been able to duplicate it. Uh, I'm not saying that other colloidal silvers will turn you blue tomorrow, but unless there's a zombie apocalypse and we're in it, we can't get this form of silver. Uh, I, I don't recommend making it yourself unless it's a topical use and things. It's fine. But for the most part, I'm using it therapeutically and teaching doctors as well how to do it that way so they can go to high dose administration without concern, if need be, for very serious medical interventions as well. Uh, but the the yeah the sovereign silver the the argentin twenty three are the, are those that the they, they, same company makes those one for lay and audience one for doctors, and they have a topical gel as well. And I was in house for a few years way back in the uh, earlier in the two thousands and helped to formulate the gel in combination with homeopathic silver for topical use as well. And that's again gotten a lot of people out of a lot of crises where they would have normally had to resort to an antibiotic and and they didn't. Yeah, I, I think I have some things I could try using that for and see what happens. Okay, so that's addressed in your book, you know, yes. that, that source, as well as on your website. Um, Correct. You show there what the uh, silver uh, hydrosol is that, that you recommend. Okay, briefly, what are some of the other uses of that silver hydrosol that are very mm -hmm. practical that a lot of people would find a use for? I think going back to Dr. Becker's work, it's the regenerative impact that silver has on tissue. So we know that from external wound care, burn care, hospitals use silver-based medicines topically, but the hydrosol is like supercharged because it's only bioactive and there's nothing wasted. But if we can deliver to the area in need, uh, doctors call that the point of foci, like in the gut, for instance, we could see extraordinary recoveries to epithelial tissue that had been damaged due to antibiotic use in the past, heavy metal exposure, and glyphosate, the active ingredient Roundup, which is coming in all of the time. People that think they're eating healthy vegetarian diet, a lot of beans and legumes and various things that are desiccated or so oats even soaked in glyphosate, they're pump punching holes in their intestinal wall. And so bringing silver into the epithelial tissue in inflammation and injury is going to heal that tissue, but it's hard to do that normally because the silver is so bioactive and absorbable in the upper GI. So we utilize aloe vera to carry the silver hydrosol into the gut, past the stomach. And it's a three time a day protocol. Uh, and it could be two, four, six or eight weeks. And I've seen even the most severe uh, gastrointestinal issues that were leading towards radical surgeries uh, be circumvented by this protocol. Uh, I've written in that book, you have a chapter on it, but I've made that available for free on my website at robertscoutbell.com, there's a banner that talks about the silver aloe gut recovery protocol. So I think in terms of regeneration, now it does facilitate uh, immune response. It's not just about directly intervening. It helps the white blood cells to be lymphocytes to do their job more efficiently. There's so much more I can get into, including there are some what we call oncolytic properties. If you bring silver ions into the presence of a cancer cell, the cancer cell has no defense against the electrical and oxidative stress that it can bring with it. It, it would be an adjunct 
for any cancer therapy. I don't claim it's a cure for cancer because that's a multifactorial complex manifestation, but I would not want to be without silver in any such circumstance either. Some people think of it, it's the big fat Greek wedding, the Windex, right? It has a lot of properties, has a lot of things to do, but it doesn't preclude eating better, detoxifying your liver, all the things we also know we need to do, but as a responsive uh, medicine and or supplement and or prophylactic preventive, like during flu season, taking a teaspoon one, two or three times a day, not waiting to be sick, you often make it through winter without be, becoming a, a victim. Yeah. And did I read uh, in your book that silver can also be used to alleviate like severe pain, chronic pain, or was that something else? It, it, yeah, it, it, that would be more copper, but silver plays a role in neural regeneration. There are receptors that were identified by a researcher by the name of Gallius specific to uh, silver on the on nerve cell. And silver is a regenerative agent. We talk about that, but it's also electrical conductor. And the nerve cell is all about conducting electricity. So it's not, again, a deleterious, dangerous, heavy metal, whereas mercury, arsenic, cadmium, aluminum, and lead, the, all of these things damage the neurons and the brain. Silver doesn't do that. It has quite the opposite benefit. So again, in a neurodegenerative situation, I'm not saying silver is a cure for that, but I would not want to be without it. It'd be a, a critical part of any protocol for recovering brain and neurological health. Oh, okay. That's awesome. So before we leave the topic of silver primarily, are there any other particular uses that you want to mention that are very common situations that people... Yeah. May in the book on page 101, I think it is, there's a book, a little chapter on lung health. I saw good loving for your lungs. And I talk about taking the silver hydrosol, putting it in a little nebulizer. You don't mix it with anything. It's ready to go. And then you do inhalation nebulizer sessions. And that can eradicate pneumonia, bronchitis, a lot of respiratory issues. COPD could help that recover as well. I talk about some herbs and, and, and homeopathics as well, but specific to silver, bringing the silver into the lungs, you can't drink it in the lungs. That's called drowning. So you nebulize it. You make it into a vapor for safe inhalation. And you can do that with copper as well. But specific to this question, silver into the lungs is a, a wonderful tool that could preclude, again, another reason why people resort to antibiotics. Yeah. And actually, I noticed on your website that you actually have a little five minute or so video demonstrating and explaining how to use a nebulizer with the silver. Is that correct? Yeah, I hope it's there. Uh, if not, there's also a, a Patreon uh, support for those that want to support the, my show and what we do even more. We have a lot more accessible through that, including the, the lung health chapter. I have that made that available there. And we have the homeopathic hits of the day we make available as video little snippets in the Patreon, although the the PDF documents of every homeopathic kit are available on the website for free as well. Okay, great. So I want to shift now a little bit to copper. Tell mm -hmm. us what we need to know about copper in a few minutes or less. And then there's some other you know, big issues that I'd love to get your opinion on, like in treating COVID things, COVID injuries, cancers, diabetes, sure. you know, some things like that that are very common today. What would you like us to know about copper and how we can use it for our everyday ailments or sure. preventive purposes, whatever you feel is appropriate? Yeah, as, as a homeopath, I was prescribing copper or cuprum metallicum, the Latin name for copper, to mostly women, but men too, with varicose veins. Copper was known for vascular health, cuprum metallicum. 
And we know that a lot of the things that happen in COVID and, and COVID injuries due to the so-called in, injections or vaccines is vascular in its origination. So copper plays a critical role in connective tissue integrity as well as recovery and, and a whole lot more. And what we've found in the COVID crazy years we've just been through, that even medical doctors, many of the good ones began prescribing dietary supplements, minerals like zinc, uh, vitamins like C, but they did not take into consideration that those things in isolation would diminish the copper stores in the body. Because in nature, when you have zinc, you have copper. In nature, when you have C, you have copper. They're very, they come together. And now we're dealing with isolating them out. Now we look at that exacerbating a pre-existing condition or issue of copper deficiency almost across the board with very rare exception in the American population, but much of the world as the copper stores in the soil have been diminished. Bioavailable copper has been wiped out because of the reliance on synthetic fertilizers and then synthetic pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, destroying the integrity of the soil. And we see mineral depletion of almost all minerals other than the NPK that they add in artificially. Uh, and as you measure the soils around the world, you find that copper has been diminished in, in its presence more than any other, 70 to 80%, depending on where you test it. So we are already deficient in terms of ingestion of copper-rich foods that don't contain copper anymore or much less. Now, what are those copper-rich foods? When we grew up, at least probably our parents or definitely our grandparents would eat liver and onions regularly. Liver is the dietary source for copper more than any other. And very few people ingest these animal proteins, particularly the, the organs that contain a lot of the minerals. In nature, of course, you find that animals that are carnivorous and, and higher up on the food chain, when they attack and kill an animal, what do they eat? The muscle? No, that's for the scavengers. They go right for the vital organs because of the richness of minerals there, including copper. And so we're not eating those copper rich foods. The copper rich foods are not copper rich. And now we've been taking things to diminish copper even further. What happens then? Vascular health suffers. It is copper and selenium that protect the heart, the cardiac proteins and the vasculature from the arteries to the veins and on back. And so in the absence of copper and selenium, we have a, a serious issue of degradation of integrity of the vascular system and the heart. And it's interesting, the two most vilified, I will call them minerals by the medical profession. And what I mean by that is they say, when you mention them, that you'll invariably hear them say, oh, oh don't take too much. What am I talking about? Selenium and copper. The two most critical minerals in this case to protect you and the heart as well. And yet, if you bring them up, it's be careful, but they won't tell you to be careful about the drugs they prescribe. It's weird that way. Copper also plays a role in energy production at the mitochondrial level, ATP production. It's critically dependent upon two minerals, not exclusively, but primarily copper and magnesium. Most people know about magnesium and take it, although there are a lot of people that are magnesium deficient, but if you're deficient in one or both, you have fatigue long COVID, anyone, chronic fatigue, anyone. So again, copper deficiency there. If we talk about connective tissue integrity, the regeneration of skeletal tissue, bone, tendon, bursa, cartilage, even muscle tissue is dependent upon copper. In the absence of copper, we don't have that integrity. We may have too much zinc because people take a lot of zinc and the zinc depletes the copper. And what happens when you have too much zinc and not enough copper, you can get bone spurs. And the reason is zinc is also important for regeneration, but in the absence of copper, it's like a carpenter on a job site with no general contractor. 
So the carpenter builds what he, whatever he wants. And you come back later to find out he built an addition to your home. You didn't order. It's because zinc, zinc without copper is a carpenter without a general contractor. Just an example. Copper manages zinc. So copper manages regeneration. And there more than we have time to cover what they call cuproenzyme pathways. Just about anything you can imagine is copper dependent in the body. And I'm just touching on some of them. If we want to talk about others, we can. There'll be more that might just pop back in. But without copper, the form, the shape is not possible. The enzymes can turn to jello and then they can't function without the structure. So copper is so critically important for structure, which leads to obviously function. Yeah. And for a lot of people, this may be the first time they're hearing about the importance of copper in the diet. When I was growing up, we'd hear about vitamins and minerals, but I don't remember hearing about copper or even silver. It just wasn't, it was not in the mainstream yeah. uh, because of what we talked about earlier, how there was that shift to the you know pharmaceutical yeah. industry and away from the, the natural methods. I think what we're talking about here is if, you know, that better health is much more possible for all of us than we think, but we're going to have to take some responsibility for it, more responsibility than we have had because we can't just take one little pill and expect it to do the work or to even depend on any healthcare provider alone uh, because we have our part to do. And part of that is educating ourselves as to what works. And, and especially these days, a lot of people are on more limited budgets and they can't afford a whole bunch of supplements and things. And so whatever we can do to improve our health, either for free, just by changing some habits or the water we drink or a minimal expense, something more affordable. It's something we're just all going to have to learn yeah. if we want to maximize our health. We just have to, the power to heal is ours. If we, we want it, to, then we have to. We have uh, to value it enough to do the things that we need to do that engage in that power. Because as you pointed out earlier, if the power to heal is yours, also the responsibility to heal is yours. Bee pollen is another source of copper. I want to mention one more thing related to heart issues. We're seeing and hearing a lot about heart arrhythmias and the medical profession, bless their hearts. They, they go in and ablate the heart tissue. They just burn it. They electrify it. They kill it so that the heart comes back into rhythm. Why didn't they not consider that a deficiency of copper leads to heart arrhythmias? because the neural pathways between the brain, heart, nervous system, and all of that's copper dependent too. And so if we can bring that copper back in, that's been wiped out because of chemical farming practices and then other things that have depleted it, we're not eating it. And then the zinc and the vitamin C, and you know, all of that, we're facilitating or creating the diseases for which um, modern medicine is all too ready to destroy your tissue further to stop the symptom from occurring, but then creating 10 other problems again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying now too is that before we do a lot of expensive tests or surgeries or even follow the uh, pharmaceutical model for dealing with some of our ailments, that we ought to look into the alternatives yes. first because yeah. the alternatives may alleviate mm -hmm. a lot of the problems that are caused by some of these other things that yeah, we're that not right. used yes. to. This is what you need to do. If you had selenium and copper in you, you'd probably not need doctors. Just 
Two great minerals right there alone would be significant. Of course, that's why they say don't take too much. They're afraid of it. It would harm their economic lifeblood, so to speak. Another thing, you, you mentioned pain earlier. I think this would be a time to bring that in. Oh, Copper please. is yeah. this master mineral in terms of the inflammatory response, the immune response. So copper cools inflammation. If you have adequate copper, yes, inflammation is part of the healing process. Should you have an injury, an infection, a cut, a scrape, these things are part of the process of healing. But to manage the recovery more in a balanced fashion, so there's not aberrant regrowth or none at all, having adequate copper in the system means that you cool that inflammation. People that have arthritis, elbow problems, knee problems, or the back is creaky and all of that, they begin to bring adequate amounts of copper in an appropriate way back in their system. And they find out, whoa, their skeletal system is strengthening. They're reducing the inflammation. The pain is going away. And most anti-inflammatories, whether they be steroidal or non-steroidal, are damaging to the organ systems, whether it be the kidneys, the liver, the heart, various digestive functions, etc. So when they do something as like the nuclear option, like methylprednisone, they will stop inflammation cold. And that could save your life in a real crisis, but it also destroys the liver and destroys the immune system, leaving you vulnerable to anything at that point. So copper can do that with a side benefit, not a side effect. Copper is critical for phase one liver detoxification pathway. So how many anti-inflammatory substances do you know have an enhanced benefit to the liver? as opposed to detrimental impact on liver. So if you use the bioactive copper hydrosol, like the sovereign copper, they have a so sovereign copper, yeah. It's a liquid form, bioactive form, very low quantity. So you never reach toxicity, no concern there. You could take six tablespoons a day, you met the adult RDI, and, th and that may be enough in a day to go, whoa, where did the pain go? Maybe a few days to a couple of weeks, but you saturate the tissues with a beneficial form of copper, no waste then you find you're out of inflammation and you can go begin to truly regenerate and come back to a healthy, active lifestyle, exercise, everything we need to stay young. Yeah. Now you said earlier, I think that bee pollen contains copper. Yes. And that probably explains why I had this experience that I shared in uh, episode one of the podcast about how I went from not even being able to walk more than 50 to hundred yards at a time without mm -hmm. so much pain, I just have to stop. I went from that to completing over 100 half marathons and 10 full marathons all, all in my 60s. And it was wow. bee pollen capsules. In fact, starting yeah. with one bee pollen capsule, uh, I'd read about this in a natural health cure book. And mm -hmm. I was actually looking for a remedy for something else when I happened to stumble across this story about a guy who had a similar problem as I had but he couldn't even hardly walk at all. At least I could walk 50 to 100 yards mm -hmm. uh, before I started experiencing a lot of pain. And so uh, I ordered, he, he started taking bee pollen capsules and within two weeks he was walking again. And mm -hmm. so I thought, I wonder if that'll work for me. So I went online, got the same brand that he had. And the first day I took one capsule and these are like cheap. It was maybe 60 capsules to the bottle or so for 10 or 11, $12, something like that. I took one capsule, an hour later went out for a walk. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the place 50 or hundred yards out where I'd usually have to turn around and limp home in pain, I realized I wasn't hurting, I wasn't in pain. So I just kept walking and walking, went much further. And so I thought this was really amazing. Next day, same thing, one capsule, uh, went for a walk, went even further than the day before, 
and then repeated that day after day because it just kept getting better. All because of bee pollen capsules, very inexpensive, very affordable. And I was just amazed. And then that's what led to my just starting to incorporate some jogging. But I've, I've always been amazed at just the power of the bee pollen capsules. Now I think I understand better why they probably helped relieve that pain so much, so mm -hmm. fast. Yeah, it's a significant source for bioavailable minerals, amino acids. It's, it is nature's superfood in that regard. And just look for sources that are cleaner. Obviously, anything could be contaminated, but I have taken a teaspoon to a tablespoon a day. I don't even have them encapsulated. I like the stuff. I'll just chew it up, soak <laughs> it up, swallow it. It's great, but it's a wonderful addition to your supplemental, if you call it food category. And I tend to defer to food sources outside of the hydrosol, which is a very unique technology to, to make bioavailable key minerals instantly in a way that the body doesn't have to digest when there's compromised digestion, for instance, or we need to feed those pathways right away. So you can use the copper hydrosol as an adjunct there, but that bee pollen is something I like to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. So the copper that you recommend is also on your website as well as talked about in the book for mm -hmm. people who want to look that up. Okay. Now also I want to talk about some of these big issues, treating COVID, cancer, diabetes. Those are some big ones mm -hmm. and how the treatments vary so differently in the natural healing side, homeopathic side, than from the allopathic side that people should be aware of these. You can still, you still have to make your own decision and take personal responsibility. But I know several years ago, my very best friend uh, had cancer and she believes in all the natural healing. She really wanted to take that route. But the problem was that <clears throat> her insurance didn't cover it. It only covered like the chemo and radiation and, and the things that, you know, big pharma pushes. Yes. And so she went that route. She eventually died, but it was frustrating to me yeah. that the health insurance was a determining factor yeah. in what treatment a lot of people select. And sure. so that's a, a sad state of affairs. And so we have to make decisions even about that. You know, are well, we think about health, this so-called, it's not health insurance, it's medical or pharmaceutical insurance. Right. You yeah. Afford it, but you don't want to afford it. That's why I call it the most dangerous thing you can have is this medical insurance outside of acute catastrophic injury, right? That's a valid form of, of medical response. We, we come to the conclusion that which we are saying we can't afford because it's not covered by insurance is the thing that will save our life. The thing that we can afford is that's what's covered by insurance, but it'll kill us. So it's a dilemma, right? I don't personally want homeopathy and herbs covered by insurance because they'll ruin that too, right? They've ruined everything else. But if we had a free market for these things, we'd find very inexpensive ways to uh, utilize them. But again, it causes calls for a difference in terms of lifestyle shift as opposed to, I got cancer, I don't know why it's genetic, whatever, just give me toxic poison. We hope it kills it before it kills me. And, and so again, we, we are, I say we, but allopathic medicine caters to those that don't want to take responsibility for the health that claim victim status. And I have great empathy, sympathy, if you will, for those suffering. I'm not trying to add to their burden, but I want to acknowledge that if you think that they can poison you back to health 
I, I hope it's true because I don't want people to die. It's not, I'm not rooting for them to die if they use a different form of medicine than I like. Uh, right. So these are all the important considerations here. If we go to cancer specifically, we realize it's a complex disease, but it commonly comes back to toxicity, deficiency, systemic free, free radical inflammation, un, unmitigated, unremitted. And, and, and eventually the tissue becomes so corrupted that immune system is weakened. It can't control the, the growth of these aberrant cells, if you will, that are no longer your cells. They don't die. So we look at why that happens. And I look at, again, mineral depletion, selenium, we mentioned already. I think that's the number one mineral in prevention of cancer by far. There are other things that I've encountered since that time, including a formula that, you know, you might interview my friend, Bob Riorin one time. He was originally from Georgia when it was controlled by the Soviet Union. He left, escaped, went to Israel for a while, came to America and brought the formula that they developed in this former Soviet Union in response to the Chernobyl level disaster, radiation disaster. And they used the pine tree and the various uh, parts of the pine to develop a formula that would counteract the ionizing radiation and also remove heavy metals and on. And that's been a miraculous addition for people dealing with cancer today or other mysterious ailments that nothing is responding to. And those, the folium products, folium PX, and I've talked about that on my show as well. So in nature, there's a remedy for everything, including cancer causing heavy metals and ionizing radiation. And we have some things in homeopathy that will help as an adjunct, but it's getting so bad. We've got to bring out the so-called big guns of natural medicine that are not harmful or toxic, but they are really potent to counteract something that is just devastatingly far along. Right. And one thing that I'd like to address briefly also is what about for people who've undergone the chemotherapy radiation and they've already had their bodies impacted in those ways and they're still struggling with the cancers, is there still hope for them? As long as they're breathing, there's still hope. And this is the, the dilemma at that point when you say, do I go back and get for more poison? I talked to people, I talked to a, a man yesterday, called me, help, want help for his sister. And he's all on board on the things we're talking about, but his sister is all on board with whatever the doctor tells her. And she's got, I don't know, fourth or fifth round of chemo. And she's afraid, he's afraid she's going to die. So I agree that is a concern, but all you can do sometimes is just love people and support them in their journey if they're unwilling, because you don't want to take them kicking and screaming. That's not going to help. It's just a matter of, can we get beyond doctor worship? so we can come back to our senses. And, and that includes the extrasensory perception that we have in terms of intuition and gut and our relationship to the divine, to God, and getting communication direct to say, hey, this is the path you should go on. We've relied so much on doctors as experts that we've shut down our communication with God that is way more divine than any doctor who believes he or she is a God because they're a doctor. I think that's the old joke. What's the difference between God and a doctor? But God doesn't think he's a doctor. That. <laughs> But again, this is not an indictment of every doctor, but the system is so corrupt. We, we've got to, it's going to collapse. It's collapsing right now. And the question is, what is replacing it? Will it be more tyranny in medicine or will it be freedom and innovation and coming back to our natural senses? Yeah, and that's a great point. People often, I've heard some people talk about if there's any silver lining at all to the whole COVID ordeal of the last four years, it may be that people are waking up to see the vast amount of corruption in yeah. you know, what we call the medical industrial complex and the just all the different kinds of corruption and 
and greed and driven by money, but it's not just about that. It's about a whole lot more that I discussed in my book. Yeah. yeah, but it even goes beyond power and control. Population reduction. Yeah, and, yeah. and even beyond that, yes. Yeah. It's nefarious but, at every level. Unfortunately, uh, there are good people that are trapped in the system, and yeah. uh, I'm rooting for them to come out of it and be part of the, the answers to the, the problems that really ail us. We don't have a healthcare crisis. We have a disease creation and disease management crisis. And in order to break free of that, we need to stop centralizing that response and mandating control of it by one class of men and denying access by all others. And come back again, that freedom is the answer to all that ails us. And in freedom, we can innovate. And that's unfortunately not the message being sent to most people. And most people think, oh, freedom is the problem. That's what got us into this mess. No, we have not had a free market for healing and medicine for a century now. And so for those that think freedom failed, no, it's the abandonment of freedom that failed. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And when we look at the issue of health care and how to take care of ourselves, and we come back to that issue of taking the personal responsibility for it, mm-hmm freedom and responsibility go hand in hand. And so to the extent that we want to delegate responsibility, to that extent, we also give up some of our freedoms. And it relates also to what we're talking about just now about the medical health insurance issue and which choice are you going to make? I love the way you've presented what we talked about today in terms of the the choices that we have to make and that are available to us because a lot of people don't realize that they are available to us or if they do realize that there are a lot of people off doing other things in the natural health and healing field but some people and again i you know this is not judgmental or anything we just want to help people gain the level of health that they want yes exactly and to encourage people to uh, work on their own health because it not only affects you yourself and how you feel and that affects your whole family relationships but it also impacts others Mm -hmm. and so to the extent we all take greater personal responsibility for things like the condition of our own health the better off everybody is and The more we want to delegate responsibility and not do that, the worse off everybody is. So it's one person at a time. Yeah. And and coming back around, we talked chronic degradation, inflammatory diseases. We can survive them. We might not thrive, but we can see degeneration occur over decades. And by the time you're in your elder years, you're not functioning well, but you didn't die. You You still lived a long time. Now you're probably managing it with things, but... When it comes to the cardiovascular system, you you don't have that leeway. And oftentimes it comes with little or no symptoms. And then the the heart attack, the stroke, the thing happens. So we've talked a little bit about the vascular system and minerals that play a role in protecting it. I didn't mention silica or silicon, which is often thought of as the beauty mineral along with copper because skin, hair and nails, but it's also connective tissue, all including vascular tissue. Silica plays a huge role there. And then we come to the discovery, I believe it was the 1990s, they discovered nitric oxide, which was the miracle molecule, the spark of life, they called it. And yet we see that the diminishment of that production over the lifespan is significant as you age, just like a lot of things. Now, it may not be because you're older, but because you're diminished in in profound uh, nutrition in your body and or 
the burden of toxins and what that means. So the ability to sustain the production of nitric oxide is also something that's important for longevity and recovery. Now, I didn't think about I would need that because I had been organic for already since 1990 had achieved levels of health I didn't have as a child. And then I was learned about this formulation called Cardio Miracle, which was a comprehensive food array, all organic, real clean that had arginine, citrulline, different root vegetables, beets as well. And it facilitated this uh, production of nitric oxide endogenously along the endothelial lining of, of the vascular system. And then it counteracted the rise of peroxynitrite, which is a dangerous, harmful free radical that always goes up when you stimulate the production of nitric oxide. So you have the benefit and some detriment, but it countered the detriment. And I got on this stuff after seeing the benefit to my producer and his wife, him, he lost all of his migraines because the vasculature got better, his health system there. And then the wife was having urinary or kidney specific problems, really bad markers on kidney function. All came back up to healthy range. And I thought, wow, this is astonishing. I wish I knew about this years ago, could have saved my dad's life specifically with his kidney issues. And so I began to use the cardio miracle and I was starting to achieve levels of fitness that I hadn't had since I was a, 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 an athlete in my younger years. But even then I was chronically ill and an athlete. Now I was athletic and not chronically ill. And I'm running circles around my 20 year old self, much less people in their thirties and such in my mid to late fifties. So that's another thing I would share with your audience as well, that if you can facilitate nitric oxide production endogenously safely, like with Cardio Miracle, I'm doing it every day. Got my mom on it as well and others. That's another simple step to maintain that thing that can keep you going long after it would have uh, expired. Because what was the number one leading cause of death even today? They call it cardiovascular heart disease. And that's made worse by all the things we've talked about, including COVID and COVID injections. So if we can shore that system up, we have the ability now to take on everything else. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned the cardio miracle because when I first heard about it uh, earlier in the year, I started taking it. And I got to say, and this is not solicited, I don't make any money off doing this or anything, but card it, Cardio Miracle, it's a powder and you just add it to water. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very easy uh, to take. And what I like about it, I figure I'm going to drink water anyway, so I might as well put this in it, but yeah. it tastes really good. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that Cardio Miracle is probably the easiest kind of supplement to yes. get in the habit of taking that I've ever done because yes. it tastes so good to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it yeah. can replace a lot of other things that you're taking. People are overwhelmed by it. And then you can remove something, see if you need to add a little bit. I still take the sovereign copper every day because I think we need more copper. I still take a little extra selenium than that's in it, but they have a lot of these things already there as a baseline for people that are overwhelmed and not sure what to do, where to start. That'd be a great place to start. Yeah. I think you also have a link to that on your website for people mm -hmm. who want to look into that a little bit further. But yes. yeah, I take that every day, two or three times a day, and I love it. Okay, as we get ready to close, I want to just address a couple other things. One is the COVID. You've talked a little bit about it uh, already, but is there anything else? Like people are still getting symptoms of COVID and what do they do? As a homeopath, I always say, let your symptoms be your guide. Doesn't mean we're trying to squash symptoms, but they are indicating the use of certain remedies. Now, interestingly enough, during COVID, a lot of the remedies that kept coming up for homeopaths were the snake venom remedies. 
in homeopathy because they were matching up perfectly to the symptoms like a lot of the blood issues, coagulation issues, oxygenation issues, vascular issues. So then Brian Artis, Dr. Artis comes on the scene and says, hey, the snake venom peptides and big pharma, they're putting it in everything. And that's really the vector here that we're dealing with in terms of manifesting what they call COVID or COVID symptoms. Addressing that in the various ways that have come out, including homeopathic, homeopathically. Also, as Dr. Artis has brought to our attention, the use of nicotine to push out the venoms that seem to be drawn into the alpha-7 nicotinic receptors particularly plays a role. We can do that homeopathically too, but you can also do it you know, with the nicotine, whether it be patches or, or, or gum uh, if you want. So that's another strategy. If you have symptoms of uh, oxygenation issues, low oxygenation, we come back to copper. Iron cannot be utilized and metabolized properly in the absence of copper. Again, another brilliant relationship when we ignore copper. They say anemia is iron deficiency. No, 99.9% of all anemia diagnoses are not right. Not that anemia isn't real, but it's not iron deficiency, it's copper deficiency. You add the copper back in and suddenly the iron that's plentiful in your body is utilized appropriately. Oxygenation and other things. So we can use copper again. Silver can be used to neutralize some of the, the snake venoms as well. Um, we can nebulize if it's a lung issue. We talk about that as well. And for me, selenium is always one of the most important minerals to protect the integrity of the cells from any attack, including from venoms. Uh, so there's a lot to consider here, but uh, they may manifest differently for different people. But suffice it to say, another interesting, really counterintuitive thing that Dr. Artis brought to my attention as well was the use of these venoms using magnesium to gain entrance to the cell. And normally, I'm a big fan of magnesium. Most people are when they learn about it. But there may be considerations that during a COVID manifestation, you might want to cut back or stop the magnesium temporarily, right. not forever, just to get out of that crisis so that there's not an easy pathway in to do the damage that these things are doing. And then again, hitting the other things we've talked about, the copper, the selenium, various homeopathic remedies, the nicotine, etc. So there's a lot more emerging. I hope that if you haven't already interviewed Dr. Artich or others, that they can also fill in some of the blanks here to help people get through this. Yeah. And thank you for mentioning him. He was one of the endorsers of our book, COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond. But yeah, I've, uh, and I, I've listened to many of his interviews and been in touch with him. But one thing I want to clarify for the audience is when you mentioned nicotine, which Dr. Artis does recommend either nicotine gum, certain brands are cleaner than others, patch. or the patch, for those who have some trouble with the gum, uh, a lot of people are afraid to take to use the nicotine because they think it's addictive. But what Dr. Aris also teaches, which Robert can also confirm, is that it's not the nicotine that's addictive in yeah. tobacco products; it's other stuff that they add. We were, um, yeah, we were lied to about tobacco. Tobacco is a wonderful nutritional plant. It's also a medicinal plant. Of course, I'm not saying you have to smoke it because there are downsides to smoking anything, but there are ways to bring that uh, nicotine that is abundant in certain other vegetables like eggplant. It's the second most uh, uh, rich in nicotine and there are other ways to get it. So if it were addicted, addictive, we'd all be ad addicted to eggplants. So who's addicted to eggplants, right? <laughs> so the idea is to get another nutrient, I will call it that, because why would we have nicotinic receptors all over all the cells of our body if it were addictive? It just makes no sense. But again, they lied to us about that too. Uh, and we're discovering more and more about how 
big pharma, government agencies involved in health-related issues, CDC, FDA, all those have lied to us about things that we had no clue that we were being lied to about, which is one of the big problems that we face right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues I address is with all these different opinions that you hear, depending on what stations of the media you listen to or read, you may hear one thing, but in the independent media, they're saying something totally different. Whose report will you believe Mm -hmm. and why? Are you going to believe somebody like Robert, who's had experience for decades now in the things that he's been talking about and has raised healthy kids? And Robert himself went from a state of being not as healthy as he is now. How did that happen? Usually we go from being healthier to unhealthy, and that's how we end up in life. But he went the opposite way. So who are you going to listen to and why? And one thing I want to touch on as we come to the end is like, what about treatments like mammograms, colonoscopies, and those types of things, which the medical industrial complex is often recommending on a regular yeah. basis. And that either of those, you know, I have Very never good. had a colonoscopy. This, yeah. This, this comes back to the dangerous thing that you have is medical insurance because it covers all the tests that they will throw at you to detect things you don't have or create those things you don't have like for instance mammography using ionizing radiation and the smushing of breast tissue and the way they do it creates cancer and colonoscopies while they don't cause cancer necessarily if you're doing certain things to clear the colon in a toxic way that could be problematic but there are a lot of cases of perforating the colon through the devices that they use and creating dangerous infections that result in antibiotics or death if they don't catch it in time if you eat clean foods and clear the colon, if you use coffee enemas or other things over time, you would not have a problem with the amount of colon cancer or polyps that are developing. Abnormal tissue, again, zinc, no copper, and among other things. So these detection technologies, they may be warranted in some cases, but if you're looking to detect something abnormal in the breast, I would highly recommend thermography to detect heat temperature signature differences years before anything would show up on a mammography analysis. And as far as, you know, uh, colonoscopies, again, the risk for colon cancer is real. I don't dispute that. But when you don't have mineral rich food, you don't have adequate selenium and silica and, and other things in your system, then your risk for those things is not because it was genetic, but because you're putting garbage in. And what do you expect the body's going to give you later if you're having chronic constipation or other gastrointestinal diseases over time? that could indicate a future that might result in a colon cancer diagnosis. But rather than detecting it, wouldn't you rather do the things that would not create it? But the medical system is loath to acknowledge that what you eat matters. They'll pay it lip service, but how many doctors will instruct you to eat only organic food? Just there. Stop with the pesticide and, and exposure as well, ingestion. So they're not telling you the basics. If they say eat well, they'll say low fat. What does that mean? Low fat is a lie as well. If you've got healthy fats, it's critical for brain, nervous systems, to all cellular functions, while production of endocrine compounds, etc. Even their placating diet by saying low fat is wrong. There's a lot that we have to consider and counter. And if any of you in, in this audience are new to this, uh, I would urge you to just read up on it, pray on it, contemplate on it, uh, get Unlock the Power to Heal, listen to my show every day if you can, and you'll see a different world. And it's one that empowers you. 
not victimizes you. I'm not interested in that. That's why I say that every hour of my show is much a reminder to me who didn't know it growing up and trying to remind myself every time I say it, much less anybody else that may be hearing it for the first time. The power to heal is yours. It doesn't mean you're going to come out of here alive. None of us do in terms of a physical reality. Spiritually, yes, I believe. But how that healing is to occur, uh, first, you got to believe it's possible and then watch the world open up for you. And in ways you didn't expect necessarily, and certainly ways that the doctors might say are impossible. Yeah. And you can go on to robertscottbell.com and find just the listing of all the different topics that they've discussed with different guests and going way back. I would encourage everybody to go to his website and listen to some of the replays and listen live if you have opportunity at the time. What time is your show again? We air live Monday through Friday, three o'clock Eastern time. And then Sundays, I do a show that we reveal on one o'clock on Sundays at Eastern time, a Sunday conversation. That's the only one that's pre-recorded. Most all the other shows are live unless I'm traveling and we have to do an encore or pre-record. And uh, you can listen live or later. There's a live chat room. You can call us and leave a message at 866-939-2355, 866-939-BELL. And you can leave a message. We can play it on the air if you want. If you have a question, you have it. Thousands of others do too. So it's a live and interactive show in that regard. Or you can drop messages in on the website or otherwise to answer questions later as well. Okay, that's great. And so I encourage people to, to check out his show if you're not already familiar with it, as well as get a copy of the book, uh, Unlock the Power to Heal, which we all have. And as in wrapping up, could you just give us just some bullets of examples of conditions, diseases that were pretty serious, but you were able to reverse through homeopathy or other natural uh, methods? Oh, man, you have a few more hours at least. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a few out um, that come to mind. A number of times where I've encountered uh, wounds that were not healing, for instance, and they have wound specialists in medicine. And I've had many patients that have called me after they've been to these wound specialists and still their, their wounds are not healing. You're talking open gaping holes and uh, utilizing the silver hydrosol and gel technology we talked about, as well as homeopathic remedies. We've seen what we consider miraculous that years, months to years of treatment in medicine and they didn't recover and then they've recovered. Going back many years, uh, I remember a case of a man who had called with serious uh, prostate inflammation to the point where they were going to do surgery on him. And my memory, again, it's many decades ago now that he was going in for surgery like the next week. And I talked to him about certain homeopathic remedies, including Sabal and homeopathic remedy that you've heard of Saul Palmetto is a homeopathic, but also putting them on a, a, him on a detoxifying thing for the liver because it's not just about the prostate. Why did it become inflamed? And he got on the remedies and over the course of three days, the weekend, he canceled the surgery the next week. He was already seeing such improvement in a short period of time. Uh, in terms of gastrointestinal health, people that were scheduled to have a bariatric surgeries or, or, or colostomy bags put in because they were so dysfunctional after years of antibiotics and even prednisone, putting them on the silver aloe gut recovery protocol, which also has some adjunct homeopathics. It's in the chapter of the book. And reversing that not needing the surgery so that's a commonplace in that regard and we just mentioned things like migraines that seemingly they have no remedy other than drugs and then they get on the cardio miracle simple as that 
and they aren't even changing their lifestyle all that much, though I'd encourage it long-term, reversing the manifestation because the vascular system is nourished and healed. So those are just a few small examples among many. Okay. Wow. We've just had a, feel like we've been drinking from a fire hose here you know, <laughs> for the last uh, hour and a half almost. But I want to thank you so much, Robert. If, if, if we leave people with one general impression, I would hope it would be that the power to heal is yours, but it's not just that we have the responsibility and, and the power to make different yeah. decisions about our health, but that the remedies are there that don't cost as much money as the some of the allopathic remedies the, that the pharmaceutical companies push, and they they're more effective without all the bad side effects. If somebody is told that they need surgery for certain things, now for certain things, yeah, you probably do, but there are a lot of conditions, wouldn't you say, Robert, that you were just referring to that surgery was recommended for, but there's ways to avoid the surgery. Sure. And in many cases, these surgeries lead to lifelong chronic debilitating diseases uh, or manifestations of the skeletal system that weren't there before or were made worse. Uh, so yeah, uh, modern medicine for the most part should be a last resort outside of emergency trauma, acute care. And uh, if you guys and gals have questions, you can be part of our Patreon uh, community. Uh, as little as $4.99 a month. It's just nothing compared to what people are spending on stuff that doesn't help them. And we do a Zoom like we're doing Zoom right now on Ask Me Anything once a month. Uh, for patron supporters. And I, I get to give stuff back to you guys that way directly in answers to questions, but also a lot of gifts that like people that sponsor and support me, I get to go, hey, I got this stuff. Let's do some fun trivia and you can win stuff. So it's just fun for me to be able to give back a little bit too. Uh, but that's fun. We do that once a month on Zoom and, and that's another opportunity for live interaction. We can see one another. It's a great community and the people in it already help one another out even when we're off the air. So it's a really great people coming together to help one another. That's an awesome opportunity. I would really encourage people to do that. I'm going to do that because how Love often do we have opportunities to really ask questions of people like you who, I mean, it helps so much. And also other people who ask questions are ones that we would ask if we had thought of them as well, or maybe didn't have the opportunity to ask multiple questions, but somebody else has asked the questions we've had as well. So this is a great opportunity for $4.99 a month. Wow. Yeah. You, so, you can't beat that. Like I said, I, I know how expensive it can be to live on this planet. Try not to add to that burden, but try to help. So I thank you, Sally, for having me on to talk about these things I love to talk about. Oftentimes I'm the one doing the interviews now. So it's fun to be turning the tables and uh, revealing some of the things I forget that I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe try this again another time and go even deeper on, on some of these issues because there's so many rabbit trails we could go down and take a deep dive into them. But uh, for today, I think it's been a, a great kind of overview of what's really possible for people and, and to just encourage them and give them hope where they've been let down and disappointed by modern medicine and are sick and tired of being sick and tired you yeah. know, there is another way. And so Robert Scott Bell, thank you so much uh, for your generous time. And I'd like to encourage uh, the listeners and the viewers to subscribe, follow, share, comment. I love to hear your comments. You can email me at sally at astoundyourselfpodcast.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. 
Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time on the Astound Yourself podcast. Thanks, Sally.